Hey there, I'm Eric. And I'm Sean. And we're the Vertiguys. We're checking out the dark side of DC. We're going to recap and review some Vertigo comics, starting with the big three. Sandman, Hellblazer, Preacher. Swamp Thing. Uh, right. So today we're looking at Swamp Thing, issues 76 and 77, as well as Hellblazer, issue 10. So it turns out that John Constantine was making a lot of guest appearances in Swamp Thing at this time, and really racking up the frequent flyer miles as his adventures take place in London and Swamp Things take place in Louisiana. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he flew every one of those times. He presumably was traveling through the green, or astral spaces, things like that, things of that nature. Hey, nature! Yeah, exactly. Nature will play a big role in this story. But yeah, so... John's adventures in the pages of Swamp Thing have impinged on his adventures in Hellblazer to the point where we felt we should probably discuss these issues. Also, they're included in the trade paperback. That really helped our decision a lot! <laughs> so, we're starting today with Swamp Thing number 76, La Duracion de la Terre. This was written and penciled by Rick Veach and inked by Alfredo Alcala. It's got a cover by John Toddleben. And on the cover, we've got... A circle, a circular frame, with John and Abby Holland, Swamp Thing's white-haired with two black tails down the middle, wife. See, when I first saw this cover, I thought that that was John Constantine and Zed. Yeah, so John Constantine also has a girlfriend with distinctively black and white striped hair. I guess it's a thing. Yeah, well, it certainly makes... The lead actress in your comic book distinctive. Anyway, they're sort of making out in Swamp Thing's tree lair, and that might seem like something of a betrayal, but we're going to find out a little bit more soon enough. Yeah, and they're surrounded by this frame that is either tongues of fire or orange marble. I wasn't entirely sure. Mm. It's a very tableau-style illustration. Indeed. And the opening page of this comic book brings us to... Big Ben? Well, let's recap a little bit of where we've been before, just for clarity's sake. Not Big Ben. I think it could be. John Constantine's problems with the Resurrection Crusade and the Damnation Army have been rudely interrupted by Swamp Thing, who appeared in John's apartment demanding a solution as the future of his species is at stake. He built a body out of John's tobacco and demanded his help, but John says he's got a plan. Do you think we should talk a little bit about what's happened in Swamp Thing at this point? Yeah, so the plot of Swamp Thing issues around this era was extremely convoluted and slow-moving, but it all revolves around a new life form called the Sprout. And the Sprout is basically supposed to be Swamp Thing's successor as the embodiment of the green, which is the shared consciousness of all plants, right? Yeah, that's right, but it needs a human host. Okay, and so Swamp Things had this idea that if it were born into a human host, it would be purified and be able to take up its duties. Yeah, I think that's generally the notion. And there's a thing called the Parliament of Trees, which is made up of other nature elementals that's telling Swamp Thing what to do, and he's largely ignoring them. He's the anti-authoritarian rebel in his comic as well. <laughs> Yeah, even though he despises Constantine for it. All right. So, yeah, that explains the reason for Constantine's trip to Gotham City in our last episode. And it explains why Swamp Thing is hella pissed off now. 
Right, okay. So we're back at Big Ben. Yeah. We've got the Phantom Stranger here hanging out with Etrigan the Demon. So the Phantom Stranger is lamenting that good and evil have joined hands. The conflict between good and evil isn't as clear-cut as it used to be. Right. Things used to be simple, and he liked that, that good fought evil. But now they're trying to maintain a kind of symmetry, and he finds the line between them blurred. Yeah, and so Etrigan replies in rhyme, and I think he speaks in rhyme throughout this issue. Is that generally a thing with Etrigan? Etrigan usually rhymes. There are certain classes of demons, we actually found out when Sandman went to hell back in Sandman number three, that are forced to rhyme. And I'm not sure if it's like the higher ones or the lesser ones that have to rhyme. Etrigan has passed in and out of those ranks, but he, usually as a character, he rhymes. But he was in that issue, and he didn't rhyme then. Did he? I don't remember. I don't remember him speaking in rhyme in that issue. Yeah, Etrigan's rhyme here suggests that there's a hidden threat in the blood and deeds of man, to which the Phantom Stranger replies, one of the instruments is tainted. Nurgle's touch and acrid smell are known to all who dwell in hell. Right, so this is referring to the transfusion of demon blood that John Constantine got two issues ago in number eight from Nurgle, so that he could heal quickly from his jumping out of a train wounds and get back on the job. Yes, exactly. Swamp Thing doesn't know that it may interfere with his plan that there's demon blood in Constantine's body. Well, there's demon blood in Constantine's body and also in Zed's body now. That's true. But I guess that's not... She's she's not who they're talking about. They're talking about Constantine. Tainted. Surely the elemental will recognize Nurgle's mark and alter his plans accordingly. Faith from you is touching, stranger. I, for one, will place my wager on the trench coat Constantine. So we cut back to Constantine's apartment, where I guess Swamp Thing wasn't really interested in hearing his plan. He's sort of pouring himself up John's nose and down his throat, and entering his body, and taking control of him. Yeah, and I also like that it says Swamp Thing in the, in the flames of the fireplace. Oh yeah, that's cool. So on the next page we see that... Swamp Thing has taken over Constantine's body. And hilariously, he immediately finds himself craving a cigarette. And as we saw in the last issue of Hellblazer, there are none in the apartment, except for the duty freeze that John brought home from the airport, which Swamp Thing used to create his tobacco body that he's been inhabiting here. He briefly considers smoking himself, but won't lower himself to that level. Yeah. And he here in his narration, is talking about how satisfying it is to be in control of Constantine after all these years of twisting me around his finger. Didn't I enjoy his shock when he realized how helpless he was before me? This is apparently a thing that's been going on in Swamp Thing, is Constantine shows up as a supporting character and repeatedly manipulates Swamp Thing into taking on various enemies for him, most notably Invunch. Right, right. So he's got a plan to get revenge on Constantine, and we'll see a little of that later. But he gets Constantine's trench coat, passport, and money, and heads out. Good. I won't have to waste any precious time on trivialities. And this is kind of a neat moment, too. So this must be where Constantine lives. Actually, 
I've never thought of him as having a home. And as Constantine walks past his housemates, Swamp Thing is surprised that he has warm feelings for anyone. Right, specifically his downstairs neighbor, Mighty Mouse, who is listening to loud music and smoking a huge joint, and his landlady, Mrs. McGuire. So this page ends with a shot of Constantine's feet as he walks downstairs under Swamp Thing's control, and the next page begins with Abby Holland's feet as she walks upstairs to Chester's door. She's visiting her friends Chester and Liz to to try to talk to somebody human. She's a little freaked out about Swamp Thing's plan. Yeah. The previous issue of Swamp Thing, number 75, was basically just Swamp Thing growing himself a gigantic brain and thinking really hard for the entire issue. <laughs> okay. And at the end of it, he comes out of the experience with this plan that they have to have a baby. Right, so he's got to get Abby pregnant with the future of his elemental species. And she's understandably a little put off by the pressure there. Yeah, unfortunately, she is not going to be able to talk to Chester and Liz because they are about to get mad sexed. I guess they can put a naked hippie in this comic. It does say sophisticated suspense on the cover. Yes, indeed. So, right before kicking Abby out, he hands her a stack of mail, which is all medical bills. Bills from the hospital for her ex-husband, Matthew Cable's care. Actually, I think at this point they may still be married. Right, yeah, I think they're technically married on paper. And she's surprised because the DDI, which is a fictional government agency that he used to work for has always paid his bills up until now. Right, to the point where she doesn't really take interest and just throws them away. But they do remind her that she wants to go to Matt's hospital room where he's in a coma and basically tell him a little bit about what they're planning. Yeah. Now, we encountered Matt last week during our coverage of Sandman the Doll's House. That's right. So at this point in the story, Matthew Cable is in a coma, having been near fatally injured in a drunk driving accident. And by the time of the first issues of Sandman, he has passed on. And he becomes a servant of Morpheus in the Dreaming. That's right. I should also point out here, she refers to Swamp Thing as Alec. This is actually after the seminal Swamp Thing issue... Volume 2, number 21, The Anatomy Lesson by Alan Moore, which reveals that Swamp Thing is not Alec Holland, but a plant that thinks it's Alec Holland. Abby, however, seems to like thinking of him that way, nonetheless. Does she know this? I don't know if she knows, but we the readers know that he's an elemental plant being, not actually a resurrected scientist who fled into the swamp when he was being killed by corrupt bureaucrats. Gotcha. So this brings us to Constantine, who is at Heathrow Airport. This is his second time at an airport in his many issues. He had just returned to London, and now Swamp Thing has him traveling back to the States again. He runs into a bearded sleaze, his old partner, Funky Flashman. Yeah, and Funky Flashman is delighted by the rumors that he's heard that Constantine has Swamp Thing eating out of his hand. 
which I don't really think is a particularly fair characterization of their relationship over the last several issues of Swamp Thing, but he seems to be referring to those events nonetheless. I think that's true. I think John kind of gets a bad rap in Swamp Thing's eyes in this scene because of the way that Funky talks about manipulating their various creatures into fighting each other like they were Pokemon masters. <laughs> when John or, or setting up a setting up a cockfight basically. Yeah, when anti-authoritarian John would probably not react all that well to Funky's come on either. Yeah. Also, the idea that Funky has the capacity to manipulate dark side is just outright laughable. Yeah. I do think this scene is pretty funny in the sense that we've got these two guys talking about arranging superhero fights, essentially, and taking bets on the fights to make themselves some money and investing in building materials in the city that's going to be destroyed. This is kind of a spot-on satire of comic book audiences and plotting. I also like that he, uh, he he refers to the kind of scene that they could set up as being really boffo. <laughs> yeah. Which, if we did best slang on this podcast, that would be the best slang. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, John's unpleasant flight ends with him arriving in Washington, D.C. Oh, I'm sorry. I got one more slang thing. He refers to filthy lucre. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we cannot let that pass without mention. You mean... Money, moolah, hard-earned shekels, legal tender, filthy lucre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy is just the best. <laughs> also hilarious is <laughs> the Swamp Things scheme for revenge, which we're about to, which we're about to find out. Right. So John, or I should say, Swamp Things, unpleasant flight, ends, and he arrives in Washington D.C., where waiting for his connecting flight to Homa, Louisiana, where his swamp is, he. Waters into a tattoo parlor to get his revenge on Constantine. Yeah, and again, this is revenge for all the dangerous situations that Constantine has tricked him into. Right. Now, we know that Constantine has a tendency to do what he needs to do to resolve threats. And certainly, he... He's a self-described bastard. Right, yeah, and it, it seems probable that he wasn't thinking of the Swamp Thing's best interests when he uh, manipulated him into taking on the Invunch. So we can understand why some of the people that he's manipulated into resolving his battles for him don't take it that well. Yeah, but nonetheless, he, to his credit, he usually does have the greater good of the world in mind. Mm-hmm. We saw that, well, you, you it, saw that with the Invunch if you happen to read that storyline, and we saw it with the Hunger Demon in the first arc of his own series. I'm off. Yes, and and we're seeing it with the uh, Resurrection Crusaders and his desire to stop their plan. Right, and that's another reason that I don't buy John as being on the same level as Funky, because he actually cares when cities get wrecked. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, in hell... Yeah, so we cut here to Abby's uncle, Anton Arcane, previously killed off in the pages of Swamp Thing, being tortured by a demon. But he's laughing, and that's making his torturer look bad. Yeah, and basically he's laughing just because Abby is unhappy? Right, he's pretty sure that the people who killed him, Abby, Swamp Thing, Matthew, are in hells of their own making, because they'll be 
just feeling really shitty about their relationships with each other and stuff on Earth. I think it's funny that one of the torture devices here is a drill that says Sears Craftsman on it. <laughs> and another one is a brand that says 666. Yeah, so this scene and the, the next scene that we get with the demon torture are, are kind of horrifically violent in an over-the-top way. But I do have to say, I think it's pretty funny the way that the torturer and Anton are kind of treated as grudging co-workers. <laughs> So Anton's pretty sure that Abby is miserable, but the demon suggests that they take a look and see. Right, which brings us to the inside of Matt Cable's hospital room. Yeah, and... Yeah, Abby's thinking how she wants to be with Alec, but she feels bad because she is still married to Matthew. And for the first time here, we get some trepidation about getting pregnant with Constantine's body. Yeah, well, Constantine's body, and even just getting pregnant with Alec is sort of cheating on Matt. Right, but as she begs for his understanding, his wedding ring slips off of his hand and bounces into hers. Yeah, and she pulls a full Hal Jordan and takes it with her. (laughs) I got that reference. She sees this as a sign that Matt is releasing her from their marriage and that she's free to go ahead with her procreative plans. Thanks, Matt. I knew you'd understand. As he's making his way into the swamp in Constantine's body, Swamp Thing is thinking about how the cosmic importance of this baby is actually becoming secondary in his mind to having the chance to be intimate with Abby. Yeah, and he's so excited that he doesn't give nearly enough weight to the passing thought that he has wondering how Constantine has healed himself so quickly. Yeah, and here they confirm, incidentally, that it was Swamp Thing who saved Constantine after he jumped off of that train. We saw his silhouette back in issue number eight, I think. Right. So Swamp Thing heads into the big old tree where he and Abby live, and she's already there. They have kind of a tender but awkward moment. Yeah, Abby is really not fond of Constantine. So the fact that her lover is in his guise makes her feel pretty uncomfortable. Also, this page is really the first time that the comic book spells out for the reader that they're going to use Constantine's body to get Abby pregnant. That's their plan. Right. Something that Swamp Thing can't physically do as a nature elemental. Yeah, I think they had had... I think they were shown having sex in a fairly recent issue of Swamp Thing. One of the issues of Swamp Thing leading up to this And it didn't work out. Okay, so in my research on this subject, which I did for the purpose of this issue, it seems like Swamp Thing and Abby have sex by ingesting a hallucinogenic tuber that Swamp Thing grows and just basically having a drug trip together. Well, you might be right. (laughs) In any case, Swamp Thing is sort of enjoying being in a human body and having human physiological responses. He says, meaning boners. Right. (laughs) Yeah, he says, I think that Constantine enjoyed this kind of thing. To which Abby says, don't remind me. (laughs) Yeah, and that line actually made me wonder, have Constantine and Abby hooked up in the past? Not that I know of, but as they go on to to talk about this, she, she has some issues with the idea of being with Constantine's body. Yeah, I also like how (laughs) Swamp Thing says what we're about to do here is vitally important to the future of Earth. 
Found is a great line that dudes should use more often. <laughs> well, honey, what we're about to do here is vitally important to the future of Earth. <laughs> yeah, he's really not. He's really not. He's really not understanding that that kind of pressure is actually what's making Abby nervous, and putting it on is not helping. But okay. They have a moment here where they kiss, and she hates the taste of cigarettes in Constantine's mouth, so he grows a coating of chlorophyll in John's throat and lungs to cover it up. Yeah. She also wonders... She wants to be assured before they go forward that Constantine doesn't have AIDS. Right, that's a timely topical moment. Right. As we've seen in recent issues of Hellblazer with Constantine's friend Ray Mond... And the stigma that he's going through as an AIDS sufferer. Yeah. I mean, AIDS is a big concern even today. But at the time, it was like a constantly in the news, you know, major thing. Yeah. And even even Swamp Thing takes it seriously and has an almost PSA-like moment here. That is a good point, Abby. In this day and age, one can't be too careful. I'm not sure if I should be using Constantine's voice or Swamp Things, I suppose, but not that I did Constantine's voice particularly well, or consistently. (laughs) You have many Constantine voices. (laughs) Uh, But he, once again, he's in a little too much of a hurry here. He actually checks Constantine's blood for AIDS, and he notices that there's something weird, some kind of mystical sigil, and decides to ignore it. Yeah, so he's that close to noticing the demon blood, and he blows it off. Right. And Abby has another concern here. Will her baby be human? And he answers that it will have his elemental power, but it will otherwise be perfectly human. Yeah. And this brings her to her true concern. Why does it have to be him? I hate Constantine. I loathe him. And most of all, I'll never trust him. Yeah. And she knows, because Swamp Thing has explained it to her in the past, that it has to do with a synchronicity storm. There's just an alignment of circumstances that make Constantine the the perfect vessel. Okay, so there's some writer shit that's happening. Well, yeah, and this has been going on throughout throughout this Swamp Thing story arc, is there are various people who are supposed to become the next forest elemental. Okay. And there's, like, destiny swirling around them, and somehow things get fucked up. Oh, I see, I see. So there's, there's destiny entering in here. It's not just that they need a human and Constantine is the one they know. Yeah, but what Abby is really worried about is that this is one of Constantine's dirty tricks. That as soon as she lets her guard down and, you know, starts to make love to her lover, she's going to find out that it's actually just Constantine. Right. And this is a particular concern of Abby's because she actually was uh, sexually mistreated by... Anton possessing Matt Cable earlier in the series. Right. This is the sort of thing that has already happened to her. So what she wants is some kind of gesture to prove that he really is who he says he is. Also on this page, take note, we can see the tattoo that Swamp Thing gave Constantine. (laughs) I never noticed that before. It is a small symbol of a pine tree on his posterior. Yeah, so she's looking for a gesture. She pulls out Matt's wedding ring and asks him to put it on. 
and he says that he would be proud and happy to do so. To which she replies, I knew it was you all along. Back in hell, Anton is finally upset because he sees that Abby is about to be happy. And the torturer locks him in a sort of head-sized iron lung and throws him into a lake of fire. Nobody likes a whiner, Anton. Meanwhile, Phantom Stranger and Etrigan are outside the tree layer watching Abby and Swamp Thing have sex, just like they watch everybody have sex, listeners. Yeah, that's right. If you've had sex recently, remember, the Phantom Stranger was there watching. That's why he goes to Bordello's. (laughs) (laughs) They see the Spirit of the Sprout here approach the tree in sort of mist form to be born into the baby, but the Phantom Stranger is pissed off. That Nurgle's blood will infect the sprout and strengthen Evil's hand. Yeah, he tries to intervene, but Etrigan will not let him. Etrigan teleports them to the north slope of heaven, and this is actually a pretty cool sequence, as we see these enormous hands rising out of heaven and hell. A sort of humanoid hand from heaven and a furry demonic one from hell. It actually looks like Hank McCoy's hand. Yeah, it looks exactly like that, doesn't it? (laughs) And they are arm-wrestling... Uh, eternally, but Etrigan points out they're still in balance. And on the final page of this issue, we see Constantine, a.k.a. Swamp Thing, and Abby in silhouette, and they're discussing the fact that basically Swamp Thing's powers of awareness make it so that he can tell that she has just become pregnant. They kiss, and there's a cut to black here. Yeah, it's sort of like their silhouettes coming together to form the black final panel. The end. For about one second. But as Liquid Snake would say, it's not over yet. Right, on to Hellblazer issue number 10, Sex and Death. Written by Jamie Delano, with art by Richard Piers Rayner. And inks by Mark Buckingham. Oh, it's not still Alfredo? Nope. Well, what about this cover? That is a weird one. Yeah, so we've got John kind of falling through space, surrounded by hundreds of eyes. Yes, indeed. And I think this is Dave McKeon, right? Looks like. So this issue opens with, well, what I wrote in my notes was Hellblazer Homunculus. (laughs) Okay, so John is in the place where his soul has been put while Swamp Thing is controlling his body. And... I guess this is some kind of metaphor or something. He's a giant screaming sperm. Right. He's he's one of a sea of sperm streaking towards the ovum, which in this case is Earth. Yeah, and we can see through the sort of translucent shell here that John is a baby clutching his umbilical cord with a screaming adult Constantine head. <laughs> yeah, and he sort of gives us a lecture on the basic amorality of... The entire universe, you know, the way that reproduction and evolution is a gamble and a game that rewards only the winners. And this is pertinent to the situation with the Resurrection Crusaders want their baby made and Nurgle wants his baby made and Swamp Thing, well, he wants his baby made as well. Right, so I guess I didn't pick up on this entirely just reading the Hellblazer issues, but... There's sort of a good side and an evil side and a neutral side that are all pushing to have their messiah born. Right, exactly. And Constantine is, as ever, in favor of balance. 
Right, now Constantine screwed up the Resurrection Crusader's chance to have a heavenly baby born with Zed by tainting her with demon blood. Yeah. I'm not sure how he knows that she's not going to get pregnant with a demon baby from that happening. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I guess he knows how heaven and hell work well enough that he pretty much accurately predicts. Well, not quite accurately, as we'll see, but he predicts that the divine forces are going to reject her. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's not demonic enough. And plus synchronicity storm, I suppose. Yeah, so Swamp Thing threw Constantine out of his body so that he could carry out his own plan, but it turns out that their two plans are actually pretty close together. They both intend for Swamp Thing's offspring to fulfill the prophecy, thereby preventing either heaven or hell from fulfilling it. Right, and John actually says somewhere in this issue that expresses his annoyance that he was basically going to offer Swamp Thing the same service, but Swamp Thing came and took over his body to do it himself before he could do so. Yeah, no surprise there. He wants to be... (laughs) present for someone having sex with his wife? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so we've got some crazy visuals here as these sperm are flying high in space and crashing into one another. And then John finds himself in more of a familiar form, turning into his own astral shape as he appears in his apartment. Yeah, and he realizes that he's seen this place before, falling through his own flat and seeing Mrs. McGuire sort of helps him get his bearings, and he remembers that the Swamp Thing just kicked him out of his own body. Right. At first he manifests, but he doesn't have any memory of himself, but he quickly regains that. He continues sinking through the floors of his apartment building and down into the earth. Well, specifically into the London Underground. Right, and as he falls into what he describes as the Swamp of the Earth, he remembers that Swamp Thing is to blame for this. Christ, the big green bastards killed me! But then he realizes that he's not dead, just astral projecting. Yeah, although Swamp Thing was pretty careless and... He actually could have ended up killed if he wasn't so good at this sort of thing. Right. And then John explains a little bit about how he would also be glad to see the the neutral messiah born. The prophecy gets fulfilled, the resurrection crusaders get stopped, the demon gets it in the air, I get the credit, and Abby, Abby gets pregnant. So at this point he decides that he wants to check in on whether his gambit with Zed has succeeded... So he makes himself an astral plane. <laughs> That's a shameless pun, but yeah, he literally makes himself like a World War One era biplane to go fly himself to Glastonbury and check how things are going there. We see Zed in sort of a stylized wedding dress, apparently bald, and surrounded by parishioners, including her creepy glasses dude father. Yeah, now we saw that they cut her hair short in a previous issue, and now they've shaved it all off. So I figured that's just someone in the Resurrection Crusaders kink. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, that's awful. (laughs) Cutting unwilling ladies' hair. And he's arranged things so that he gets to do it twice. (laughs) Maybe she lost her hair as a result of the demon blood, although that did not happen to John. Yeah, that part doesn't really make sense to me. So the Resurrection Crusaders seal Zed in a crystal arc and use a ritual to open Heaven's Gate so that she can mate with an angel. Yeah. But because of her demonic blood, 
she is rejected by the angelic force, which seems to be a pretty torturous process for her, and everything goes to hell, and it looks like a bunch of the Resurrection Crusaders get killed in the ensuing chaos. Mm. When I say everything goes to hell, I don't mean literal hell, but I just mean that the angels go nuts and destroy everything. Yeah, the angels take it very, very badly, and they seem to kill all the Resurrection Crusaders, and even Zed. I uh, wrote this down in my notes as the Zed wedding. Oh. (laughs) John is watching this astrally, and he sees somebody else doing so, a demon spy. And this is kind of hilarious that the demon spy is a human ghost with a pair of teeny tiny Nurgle hands attached to incredibly long noodle arms. (laughs) Trailing out of sight. (laughs) John clarifies that he pretty much was expecting that the divine force would reject Zed upon seeing that she has demon blood. But he was not expecting this much of a reaction. Right. He didn't know that everything would go completely bananas. He didn't know he was getting Zed killed. Right, yeah. I actually missed that Zed got killed. I only saw that a bunch of Resurrection Crusaders did. But in any case, John wasn't expecting the level of bloodshed that takes place here. Well, you know, now that I think about it, there's a line here that kind of implies that she doesn't die. She prays for the world to swallow her shame, to bury her deep with no monument, to grind her vile flesh and bone into a paste. But God is just, and justice is cruel. Yeah, and one wonders what form that justice will take. Right. So, as John follows the spy, we come to Nurgle, who is in the middle of a good gloat. He figures that with heaven's divine incarnation foiled, that will lead the way to his diabolic one. And he seems to celebrate by killing the guy he had sent as messenger. Rude. Yeah, but then he senses something's happening in the green. And it looks like he's got a captive dryad here so that he can keep an eye on the plants. Yeah, he's got a spy in the green, basically. And when he finds out that Abby has just conceived, he decides it's time to kill Constantine. Right, he detects the astral Constantine and he rips his own belly open, pouring out hellhounds that chase John's astral form. Yeah, in the pursuit that follows, it's just an excuse for a lot of really interesting art. First the hellhounds, and then Nurgle pursues Constantine through an underwater palace, eventually manifesting himself as a giant whale. Yeah, so this I thought was a cool piece of astral or dream logic. John gets the idea that he can put off the hellhounds from his scent by swimming, and he imagines an ocean and dives in. And so he's wandering around this sunken cityscape when Nurgle in the form of a giant whale appears. John tries conjuring up a harpoon. All right then, Moby Dick, call me Ishmael. And chucks it at Nurgle's eye. Yeah, but Nurgle is just too big for him. Right, so he decides he has to flee, and there's one place at least he knows the demon won't follow. Into the green. Yep, So, seeking Swamp Thing's help, Constantine enters the green and accidentally re-enters his own body at quite an inopportune moment. Just as Abby feared, he suddenly reverts to Constantine. Yeah, and she is 
super pissed off. This is exactly what she was afraid of. It's a virtual replay of her experience with her uncle Anton. And she storms off. She doesn't want to hear what Constantine has to say about it being an accident and an act of necessity. She just informs him that she hates him and runs away. Yeah, we act, we have a sort of a rare moment here where John is actually genuinely apologizing, but she's not having any of it. And as she storms off, Swamp Thing shows up and basically kicks John out of the house. Yeah, and at the same time informs him that he didn't have to fight Nurgle because Nurgle fled as soon as as soon as Swamp Thing appeared. Right. He feared me. But unfortunately for John, Nurgle has long-term plans for him, having realized that he was betrayed. Yeah, he gives him a message. Remember Newcastle. Remember Newcastle. I do. It fills my mind from Louisiana to London. And as John arrives back in London... This actually jumps us past the events of next issue. As he arrives back in London, after the events of the next Swamp Thing issue, John finds... The corpses of Mrs. McGuire and Mighty Mouse strewn about the apartment. Yeah, Nurgle has killed his housemates, who he had such respect and caring for, that it shocked Swamp Thing. But seeing this inspires John to realize the truth. How did I not see it before? Christ, he even spelled it out, boasted about it, he played with me. Nurgle, 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 I know you now, you bastard! Yeah, in his fury at what has happened to his housemates, he has concocted a plan, and he pulls a file out of his old boxes of stuff that says Newcastle, 1978. I owe him a monstrous debt, and I swear, between the despair of heaven and the hope of hell, that debt will be paid in full. So yeah, it looks like in the next issue of Hellblazer, we're finally going to find out what happened in Newcastle all those years ago. But first, let's wrap things up with Swamp Thing number 77. All right, this is Infernal Triangles, written by Jamie Delano, our regular Hellblazer scribe, with pencils by Tom Mandrake, inks by Alfredo Alcala, and a cover by Dave McKeon. On the cover, we've got sort of a luminescent Abby Holland, and behind her, John to one side, (laughs) and Swamp Thing on the other. (laughs) Yeah, worth mentioning that... Jamie Delano, while he's the regular writer on Hellblazer, obviously over here on Swamp Thing, he would be a guest writer. Yeah. The regular writer in this era was Rick Veach, who did write issue 76, which we just covered. That's right. So we've got Abby in the swamp, it seems like the following morning. She's playing with some metal triangles, one of those metal puzzles where you have to kind of pull them apart, but these triangles are hopelessly intertwined. Yeah, and... She's interrupted by a disturbance that sends some ducks into the air, and they are scared by the sudden appearance of Swamp Thing. And she drops the triangles into the water. And she is upset that Constantine had to be involved in order for her to get pregnant, and, of course, specifically about his interruption at the last moment of their lovemaking. Right. She's withdrawn and distant. Their intimacy didn't bring them closer together as Swamp Thing expected. And she has to wander off and think by herself for a while. Yeah, specifically she says she needs to puzzle this out. And then we get the title, Infernal Triangles, and Swamp Thing is trying to solve the 
triangle link puzzle as well. The symbolism is pretty on the nose. There's also a V of the ducks flying overhead. So triangles everywhere. Oh yeah. Abby's walking along the side of the road, thinking how everyone just seems to want to use her. Yeah, now this seemed to me a pretty big switch from her feelings on the plan in the previous issue. I mean, obviously, I know that the the experience got ruined for her by Constantine showing up, but I also wonder if part of this is that Jamie Delano's just not as familiar with the character as Rick Veach is, so he can't really render her consistently. Makes sense. It's a bit of a switch. In the last issue, we saw that she was excited to be intimate with Alec, but at the same time, we saw that she was kind of nervous about the pressure of conceiving the sprout. Yeah, that's true. So a convertible pulls up behind her, and a seemingly nice couple talk her into accepting a ride. This woman, Ella, wants her to tell her tale. Men can be such monsters. But then she recognizes Abby's distinctive white hair and realizes, having seen her in the newspaper, that she's Swamp Thing's wife. Yeah, and they immediately start asking prurient questions about Swamp Thing. Julius here was really turned on by those pictures, weren't you, Julius? And I was too, to be honest. So they just kind of randomly decide that she should have a threesome with them. Yeah. (laughs) Abby demands that they stop the car so that she can get out and sums it up with the word creeps as she leaves them in the dust. Yeah. Meanwhile, Swamp Thing is brooding and whether subconsciously or otherwise, is conjuring up a plant that takes a human form. While Abby watches some kids play on a triangle-shaped jungle gym composed of other smaller triangles, Swamp Thing makes some really top-drawer faces. Yeah, he's sort of experimenting with trying to change his form. He's worried that what Abby is displeased with is his sort of inhuman visage. Right. Particularly, I think, compared to Constantine, since they needed Constantine's human body. Once again, Abby tries to drop in on Chester and Liz, but once again, her plans are foiled by their newfound intimacy. Sometimes three's a crowd. So instead, she just steals all their money. (laughs) Yeah, we see her take a couple of bucks from the can they use to store money, and she leaves a note, an apologetic note, saying that she will explain and pay them back. I like that she steals all their money and leaves a note signed A. It's straight out of Pretty Little Liars, really. (laughs) What does she know? (laughs) Then she calls a cab to go to the bus depot. Yeah, she's getting ready to blow town in a big way. And as she enters the bus depot, she passes a man in a trench coat who's won six times at Find a Lady. Yeah, that's pretty clearly Constantine standing there. Yeah, so again, this is before the final pages of that last Help Blazer issue. He hasn't left Louisiana yet. Right, or discovered the fate of his housemates. She sits down at a cafe and gets a cup of coffee, but there's sort of some drama going on outside the cafe. Yeah, this guy is being left by his wife or long-term girlfriend who's now going with a much younger, better-looking man, powerless to do anything to confront 
the other guy, the spurned fellow decides to take out his rage on Abby as basically the nearest woman. Yes, and as well on Tim Gunn. Says this guy is wearing a remarkably tacky suit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it looks like he sticks his fist through the window and punches Abby basically through the window of the cafe that she was sitting at. Well, not exactly. Um, If you look at the next page, there's like a spider web crack, but you can see that there's no large hole in the window. I think he... He punched, and she started to run, and he ran into the cafe to pick a fight with her. Oh, still, seems like that should do some damage to his hand, right? Yeah, makes sense. So this asshole, with really quite a lot of mucus pouring down his face for some reason... uh, I guess because he's supposed to be crying. Yes. He's like, he's in tears, and... He throws Abby down on a table and gets on top of her, but she is quite resourceful and has already unscrewed the top of the pepper, which she throws in his eyes. Yeah, Constantine comes up and says hello, but she really doesn't need his help to deal with this guy. She's already quite handily taking care of him herself. Constantine says, looks like you could use some some human company. And they wander off together to get smashed. Meanwhile, Swamp Thing is experimenting with new forms. Yeah, trying out various handsome shapes. Jerry Garcia, Batman, Indiana Jones, Superman. <laughs> yeah, it looks like Bruce Springsteen there. Ah, I wonder who that was. Nice call. Well, I love Bruce Springsteen. And on the far left, there's a guy who looks remarkably like Morpheus. Except that Morpheus hasn't ever appeared in a comic book at this time. Yeah, I thought that was just supposed to be like a sort of proto-attempt at creating human forms. Yeah, but it's got big stringy green hair. Meanwhile... Constantine and Abby are drinking together, and she's explaining why she hates him. This is weird. I can't believe that I'm sitting here getting drunk with you, of all people. I don't even like you. Well, I have been told that I possess an almost irresistible charm, so don't feel too bad about it. You probably can't help it. Anyway, we've got a lot in common. We're both small fry getting screwed about by supernatural forces outside of our control. Don't be so base, Constantine. It's the way you drag every genuine human feeling into the gutter that puts me off to you. It's funny. That's what turns most people on. Good drop of beer, this. She asks what his angle is, and he says that he's an independent operator interested in collision of opposites. In other words, in maintaining neutrality between the forces of good and evil. Yeah, he's trying to act all blasé about his involvement in the supernatural when, in fact, he's quite driven. Yeah, that's true. So from where I stand, there's three sides to everything. I mean, he does have a type of procrastination about him, but (laughs) aside from that, he does take this stuff quite seriously. Yeah, he sometimes resists the pressure to put his life and limb at risk, but he nonetheless does these things on his own recognizance. Yeah, so he says three sides to everything, and this whole page is made up of triangles. He and Abby start dancing to a song that is being sung, which seems to be about threesomes. <laughs> Deux hommes et une fille. Yeah, and the whole layout of the page is done in triangles. So they dance for a while until Abby wants some fresh air and Constantine's smoke-infused body is winded. By the way, I tried to look up the song that they're dancing to here, and it seems to be completely made up. Oh, okay. I couldn't find any trace of it on the internet. 
So yeah, they duck out for a breath of fresh air, and John talks Abby into sharing a motel with him. Right, because they're too drunk to walk, that's for sure. They get the motel room, and it's a little awkward. Abby seems to be afraid she'll sleep with Constantine, but then he takes his pants off and is wearing goofy flower print boxers, and she laughs. You usually look so cool. Well, as the bard said, even the President of the United States must sometimes have to stand naked. I bet the President hasn't got a tree tattooed on his ass. What? (laughs) Meanwhile, Swamp Thing sculpts an effigy of John Constantine. He's having a hard time sculpting. He's usually better at this, and he wonders why. Are these creations born of love, or lust, or jealousy? Yeah, and he just starts ripping them apart. Beginning by punching the John effigy's head off. Bring her back, he shouts as he does so. Abby wakes up the following morning to find her wedding ring by her side, as well as coffee, flowers, and breakfast. She and Constantine are both wondering if they had sex. Neither of them was sober enough to remember, but he points out that she still has her shoes on. Right. She replies, you're a hard person to figure out, Constantine, seemingly surprised that he didn't seduce her. But he says, tell me about it. I've been trying for years. Impenetrable man of mystery. That's me. She's worried about Alec, so he tells her to eat her breakfast quick and he'll take her back across the swamp in this little boat that he has. Right, they've got a swamp boat. She insists on driving, presumably knowing the trade a lot easier than he does. I know. Let's play the African queen. I'll be Hepburn, you be Bogart. That way you get sucked by leeches. And... On this page, we've got some really cool art of Swamp Thing emerging from the swamp. Yeah, this doesn't. This is a full page that doesn't serve the story all that much. It's just a gator flees as Swamp Thing slowly rises out of the swamp, and it looks really cool. Yeah, and something's going pop, pop, pop. But I couldn't really tell what it was. Is it the sound of the boat? Maybe that's the ability to, to hear their swamp boat, yeah. Okay, so he's getting ready. Yeah, they arrive at the part of the swamp that is his haunt, and they find all the images. Looks as if your boyfriend had a bit of a wild night. Must have been cross about something. No, he wasn't angry, just frustrated. Constantine takes a look at the uh, image of himself without the head and says, Ouch! Yeah, that's pretty funny. And then this panel is neat, too, as Abby sidles up behind the actual Swamp Thing, and John sidles up behind a copy of Swamp Thing that he had made. Hello! (laughs) so abby and swamp thing are reunited she apologizes and said she's back he's obviously thrilled to see her in the copy swamp thing's hands constantine finds the metal triangles now fully unentangled right the puzzle is solved swamp thing hoists abby in his arms and they both tell constantine to fuck off Abby thanks him for looking after her, and he replies as he walks away, No problem, no problem at all. All part of the job, darling. Yeah, so this looks like a pretty happy ending for him, but we know what he has waiting for him back in London. Right, an ugly scene. Well, so what did you think about this story arc? It's interesting to see Swamp Thing take a place in the mythology of Hellblazer. He's really just been kind of a character in another comic that is mentioned from time to time. Like, we know he's one of John's friends, but he doesn't do much. 
And so he's taking on the role of, like, the father of the neutral messiah that John needs to defuse the Resurrection Crusade and Nurgle threats. It makes a lot of sense if you know Swamp Thing, or if you come to Hellblazer through Swamp Thing. Yeah, if you're just reading Hellblazer, this is super confusing. Right, this kind of comes out of nowhere, and if you didn't read the two issues of Swamp Thing, or at least issue 76, in addition to the Hellblazer issues, it would be really hard to follow what was going on. Yeah, and honestly, to like get even even a working knowledge of this Swamp Thing story arc that's being resolved, you pretty much have to go back to like Swamp Thing 65. Right, we had to do some research in addition to reading a couple of issues of Swamp Thing that surround this story. And in a way, also, it's... I was going to say it's disappointing to see such a big Constantine arc get resolved by a guest character. Maybe in another way, I should say it's disappointing to learn that the stuff we've been following in Hellblazer is actually just a fragment of a bigger story that's been going on in Swamp Thing for a year. Yeah, I think that there's a satisfying symmetry in the way that the same actions by Constantine and Swamp Thing resolve ongoing story arcs in their respective books through this crossover. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the prophecy is fulfilled and both of them kind of move forward from the same important point. But at the same time, there's just there's just a lot of not much happening in these issues. I didn't really mind that very much. And, I mean, I, I guess obviously I would say that's not a requirement for adult comics. Sandman issues are incredibly dense. Yeah, for sure. Whereas the issue, number 76, is mostly like Abby thinking about it before having sex with her husband. Well, so that's fine. Like that's that's an, an interesting story in its way, but it's definitely slow in pace. Yeah, I think that the pace of Hellblazer is just about right for me. The pace of Swamp Thing is really too slow. I mean, an entire issue thinking about having sex with Alec before she does—that's fine. But it's an entire issue before, and then another entire issue after, which is mostly just about her thinking and processing. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was interesting, resolving sort of the trying relations between John and Swamp Thing and Abby as a Swamp Thing story, less so as a Hellblazer story. Yeah, well, and just this this whole situation with the successor, the next forest elemental that's going to take up Swamp Thing's place, this storyline has been playing out way too slowly over issues and issues and issues of Swamp Thing, in which, frankly, most of them, not much happens. Fair enough. It is interesting to me to see problems resolved in, like, the very opposite of a superhero way. There's no big battle. It's resolved by the act of love between Abby and Swamp Thing, and even that, we spend plenty of time dealing with the emotional repercussions of that. And even Hellblazer is more of a binary in that it's sort of John versus demons. Fair enough. It's definitely a mature adult take on comic book storytelling. Right. If not, maybe to my mind, a successful one. Okay. So John returns to London and an ugly scene, but he's finally ready to delve into one of the longest lasting mysteries in the Hellblazer series. What happened to Newcastle? Yeah, that is 
going to be the topic of our next Hellblazer episode. But first, next week, come back for the resolution of Preacher's All in the Family story arc. Join us next week as Jesse Custer resolves things with his weird family from now until the end of the world. Hey, if you like our show, check out our website at vertiguys.blueberry.com. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. We've got show notes on every episode. Plus, you can check us out on Twitter at vertiguys, or you can get in touch with us at vertiguys at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks.